I know that you guys have raised this stand to be as high as Pastor Eden's height, and I'm sorry, I'm probably the, the shortest preacher that will be preaching at your church. It's always good to be in the house of different fellowships, especially among the saints. It's my privilege once again to be here the second time. I remember the first time I came here, I was a bit formal. I wasn't really being myself. I was trying to make myself fit in with Charles. But Charles Kim is my friend, and it's because of Charles I have... Uh, now I can say I have connection to you guys and Brother Aiden. Now, Brother Aiden, if you're watching me online, congratulations. I'll sing you a happy birthday to your baby later, okay? But with that being said, I want to introduce myself to some of you guys who probably don't know me yet. My name is Daniel. Uh, this is my wife right there in the front. If she could raise her hand, then that's her. We're very friendly, so please do say hi to us when we leave, okay? Because last time I came here, I only got one wave, all right? And then my kiddos were with me too. And obviously, a uh, little background. Uh, I've been married to one wife for 24 years. Uh, we have five kids. Three of them are grown adults. One of them is already married. Two of them still currently live with us. We can't get rid of them yet. Uh, me and my wife, uh, she works from home. She's an accountant. And I'm currently a full-time chaplain. But I'm also a pastor or an assistant pastor in a local church here. I am ordained from... Uh, Christian organization or a missionary, Christian Missionary Alliance denomination. But that doesn't cut ties with me and some of my partnership and relationship and brotherhood among uh, the churches in our city here. So that kind of kind of tells you what my background is. I grew up here in the Twin Cities. And like I was saying to Brother Luke, this is my stumping ground. So if somebody says that uh, they've been to tough areas in this place, I used to be the tough area in this place. With that being said, the message is Satan's kryptonite. And why is it Satan's kryptonite? Well, I can really say that if you use the term kryptonite, that seems to be like um, something that can make you weaker, right? If you know the word kryptonite, we kind of align it with Superman, or we kind of parallel or we you know, classify it in a Superman story, or we can attach it to Superman. And I don't know that in Superman Part 1, there was a time when Superman flies and he comes and see his enemy, Lex Luthor, and Luthor or Luger, I forgot his name, but Luger. Anyways, you guys know who I'm talking about, Superman's enemy. He shows up, and then he, um, he asks Lex, why are you going to shoot your missiles in two different directions and blowing off this, this country that they live in? And, of course, Superman was trying to use his vision to try to scan in where, where the, the remote for the detonator is. And, of course, Lex was sitting on a chair, and he threw Lex out, and Lex says, don't touch that. If you touch that, um, you're going to get hurt. Of course, Superman's like, I'm Superman. I'm not going to get hurt. Superman lifts up that, I guess it was a trash or a chest box or something, and he, he opens it, and kryptonite was sitting there. You guys know what color kryptonite is in that movie? Green, that's right. Hey, I'm very charismatic, so you guys feel free to say amen or shout or respond back, all right? So it's a two-way thing, okay? So just get you guys a little bit more comfortable since, uh, since I'm up here. But anyways, kryptonite is an enemy to Superman, or pretty much a weapon to wear Superman down or kind of weaken him. Now, the sermon topic says, Satan's kryptonite. 
So what does that mean? Is it Satan's kryptonite? Like, what could we make Satan weak? What could we do to make him weak? Or what is it that Satan uses on us to make us weak? We can't put Jesus or God in this because we know that God could defeat him easily. But he allows Satan to roam the earth, scatter around, and do what he does best. And obviously, he becomes a kryptonite to many of our faith. Today, I'm going to use a very simple passage. I'm going to just use one passage, and I'm going to break it down. We're going to study the Word of God today. Why don't you guys rise with me as we stand and we read in John chapter 8, verse 44. This is a pretty famous verse that a lot of people likes to study on, but I want us to read it, and I want us to study it and be led by by God opening our hearts and our ears to hear. This is the NSAB version, and I'm going to read out of John chapter 8, verse 44. The word of God says, You are my father, the devil. You do not want to do the desires, or you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, he speaks a lie, and he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar, the fathers of lie. Let me pray. Father, as we come before you, Lord, this is your word. You anoint it with your blessings. You open our ears to hear and our hearts to see your truth. Let it be that you get the glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a seat. A little context so that we get this story a little bit. And I think it's okay if... So I'm going to, I like to move around a lot, and I'm small, so my wife's like, I'm like a little chihuahua, okay? I talk a lot, and I move around a lot. Last time I came here, I was just trying to impress, but I figure out that trying to impress really doesn't get me anywhere. In fact, I kind of thought that I may not get invited back because I was just kind of pretending, but this is me, so y'all got me, and if I get re-invited back, then that means I did justice, Now, in the Bible, the context behind this is very important because the author, John, who is Jesus' disciple, he wants us to see something pretty clear here. Now, chapter 8 opens up already where, where Jesus is already getting in this altercation with these enemies of Jesus, right? These are Pharisees. These are the religious leaders, the ones that is always picking on Jesus, trying to find the smallest little things to offend Jesus so Jesus can say something, so they can use that, what Jesus said, and take offense and say, hey, I thought you you're a son of God. I thought you were a holy, righteous person. But then again, it didn't work, for Jesus knew what their minds was all about. So chapter 8 opens up with the Pharisees bringing this woman, right, caught in adultery, and they said, Jesus... This lady's sin, the rules, you know, they're not saying whose rule. They're just saying rules, like Moses' rules. They're not saying it's God's rule. They're just saying a rule says let's stone her to death. Of course, Jesus, knowing what they said, counter it. And would, you know, that's another different story of itself and another lesson of itself. And Jesus countered it, and they left. They were pretty pissed off, I thought. You know, when I looked at it, scriptures, I knew they were pretty mad. So being more mad, they're going to try to redo more things to Jesus. So again, beginning by verses 11 or verses 12 to 20, they begin to challenge Jesus now. And Jesus is telling them that, look, 
I came from my father. My father is my own testimony. So whatever I say, my father was there, right? They're like, you are such a liar, right? Who are you, Jesus, to tell us that, that you have your father as your own testimony? Obviously, they, they choose not to listen to Jesus. They were criticizing Jesus. They were also telling him that, you know, you're not that good yourself, Jesus, because I think there's something in you. Maybe you have an evil spirit, or maybe you have some sort of false in you. Of course, that fleshed out somewhere down later on in verse 40-something later on when they, they were so pissed at Jesus that they literally called him like, you're crazy, Jesus. You're not just crazy, but you're beyond crazy. By the time verse 21 comes along, the challenge is getting more heavier and heavier. And they're like, you don't know where you come from. You're a crazy man. So, of course, Jesus, knowing who Jesus was again, he says, I know where I came from. I told you my testimony. I'm from my father and my father who is in heaven. That's where I'm from. Like, you can't tell somebody that they're not from a particular place because you've never been there. That person could tell you literally where he's been because he's been there, right? And they're telling Jesus that, no, you don't know where you come from. You probably don't even know that you're, you're part of Abraham's descendants, right? And they called him a Samaritan because they don't really like Jesus. So they're, they're really referring him to being, hey, we know your history. We know you're a child of a wedlock. We know you don't have no belongings with us. So these Pharisees are pretty ruthless. That's kind of, that's where they're going with this. But Jesus, knowing who they were, tells these Pharisees, religious leaders, all these followers with them, and says, if you know who I was, then you obey, and you, and you believe me. You just don't know who I am. That's why you're saying what you are. They got so pissed off to the point with 31 through 47, where this context is at. They got mad because they're like, hey, man, we, Abraham is, is our great-grandfather. We're his descendants. We're his children. You're the legitimate, illegitimate child. You're also a Samaritan. You're also a crazy person. And then Jesus says to them, before Abraham, if you actually believe in Abraham, then you were looking forward to me. But since you don't, then, of course, it, we jumped on verse 44 here, but before this chapter ends, this is kind of the, the breaking point where they sentenced Jesus to death. Throughout the whole gospel, this is the, the, the top part or the top point where this is it. He's going to die. And they asked Jesus, or Jesus says to them, before Abraham was, I am. Now, why do we need to know this context very well? Because those in Christ knows who they are. Oftentimes we find ourselves doing things we shouldn't be doing, which is lying. How many of you guys have never lied before? Raise your hand. You guys are honest. The worst part about it is that how many of you guys find yourself lying to yourself? Here. These Pharisees lied to themselves, their hatred for Jesus. They capitalized hatred purely on the motive of just hating Jesus. And from that, they decided to lie. 
What did they lie on? I guess a lot of it is they, they, they thought they were experts of the law, but they didn't know the law, so guess what they do? They begin to lie to themselves that this Jesus isn't the Savior. Maybe they, they, they really thought he was a crazy person, but they didn't see scriptures well enough. They couldn't interpret scriptures well enough to, to justify that position. And if every time Jesus challenges them, they get pretty pissed off, storming out, and then they begin to lie to themselves more. So what is Satan's kryptonite? There's only two points that I want to bring up to us in this chapter, uh, verse 44 out of chapter 8. 44a and 44b, we could break that down in one simple or two simple clauses or three. The simple clause here in verse 44 says, you are the father. You are of your father, the devil, and you do not want to desire your father. The child liar. Satan's first kryptonite to us is allowing us to be the child liar. How does this work, right? How are we a liar, right? If, if, if we're, you know, if we're, we, we do it naturally, right? We're babies. I mean, we're babies in the faith and we're babies in real life. And I know that with, um, with most of you guys who haven't had kids, which I'm looking around to see that there's no babies here. So I'm pretty sure you guys are all mostly singles, right? You guys are my kids' age, and I told them that, you know, when you guys are small and cute and all that stuff, like Aiden's newborn baby, automatically we know how to lie already. You know that a baby, when they're crying, it's not that they need to get burped. It's not that their stomach is, well, their stomach is too full now, right? But it, it really means that the kid just wants to eat. That's it. They're so used to, to eating. They like eating that that even if they're not hungry, they lie to themselves that they're hungry and then naturally they cry right it's just this instinct we have in us and out of fear out of shame out of so many things lies become bigger and bigger you tell yourself a lie you you would actually believe that that's you right so the first thing here is jesus identified or john writes about jesus describing right who the pharisees was The implication here is that Jesus is addressing them as you are of your father. Meaning you are of your father, the devil. Like Jesus is like, dude, you're the opposite of me. And your desire is to be like your father or the desires here. So there's two main points out of this. Well, two points, sub points from this main point. And these two words is basically they are, right? You are, meaning you don't have to try to be like them. You're just, you're born to be like it, right? And then the second one is, and because you're born to be of the devil, then you desire to do the things of him. Greek word right here is the word epithomia, which is the Greek word for, for lusting, right? You lust, you passionately desire this deep, this this. You know, this deep passion inside of you is burning so that you can do the things of the Father, right? Or, or the devil, which is, which is here what Jesus is referring to. Not the Father who is in heaven, but the Father, the devil. And Jesus says that 
you because you are you desire it's just an automatic thing for you who are born who don't know the word who don't accept the word who don't want to be part of who who I'm all about or what I'm all about about this new life that is going to make things different so Jesus when he came these religious leaders did not like Jesus, hated him passionately. And that passion continues to fuel this hatred for them in which they begin to lie to themselves that, look, if we kill Jesus, we can then eliminate, we can eliminate any threat that is going to be against us as the elite religion of the society. In fact, because they, they were right. They believed that there is only one God. They believed that there was only one Yahweh, Jehovah, Elohim, they believe that this God is the God of creation and his God favored them to be his people. And if anybody were to come along and try to rescue this people in which they believe that they were elite leaders and religious leaders, then they were defended to their fullness. And out of this whole entire chapter, there's a couple things that I'm going to highlight so that it kind of just summarizes this. When we see that they mistakenly didn't see scriptures for themselves in verse 6, they were going to just really stone the lady without realizing that. One little side note here. The, the guy wasn't caught, too. If you guys paid attention in this story, they didn't bring the guy forward either, right? Because usually it's the guy who gets stoned along with the, the woman who did the adultery. But they, they only brought the woman for some reason because they wanted to set Jesus up. But their misrepresentation or misinterpretation of Scripture was, was that what Moses was really saying? Or that's what they were interpreting what Moses was saying? The next problem that they struggle with is basically accusing Jesus to be a liar, right? In verse 13. And the focus here was that you don't have a witness, so obviously they begin to see things in such a horrible way that they deny themselves trying to even listen up and, 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 and kind of have just a simple conversation like, hey, where did you go? You went to Mall of America? Cool. But imagine you had that conversation with somebody and they're like, oh, no, you didn't go to Mall of America. You went to Roseville Mall. Well, how did you know, right? These Pharisees were so polluted that they would put any junk inside of their head and they would just tell Jesus, you're a liar. You're not from Jesus, or you're not from God. Verse 22, they accuse Jesus being suicidal. Are you going to die, right? Where are you going to go? Are you going to die? You're going to probably kill yourself. By verse 33, completely claim to be the descendants of Abraham. Yeah, I guess in one way, all of us, this whole human race, are one part of you know, our, our great ancestors who is basically Father um, Adam, right? But after Adam, the world was wiped out for a little bit, and then we have Father Noah. And from Noah, there's three sons, and some of us are, you know, within one of his three sons. So, of course, all of us are some sort, you know, we came out of a descendants of, of our first, 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 great 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 grandfather but these guys weren't claiming not just the descendants of abraham they were really claiming the faith the genealogy power 
I was going to make up a word, but I didn't know if that was an actual word. I haven't been in college and seminary for a long time, so I like to make up stuff as I, I say things. I was going to say genia, genealogical, right? right? I don't think that's a word. The next one is they finally accuse Jesus being demonically possessed, being a, being a Samaritan. So when most of us are dealing in life and struggling in life and wondering, you don't know what we went through. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the kind of struggles, emotions, uh, the instability, dysfunctional home. We could have the greatest crazy stories about our background. But when I begin to see the life of Jesus and I begin to see that he wasn't really born in the right place either, right? You're thinking, this is God. God is born. And if God chooses to be born, if I was God, I would be born in a super palace. Not just a palace, but a super, super, you know, kingdom. A palace that, that really can show something for him. He chose to be born in probably the most humble way, but insufficient, you know, non-hygienic barn. It's probably like a small little room next to a barn, technically, an inn that wasn't qualified for a God to be born in. Not just that. He was a child without a father. His dad, Joseph, tried to do everything in his power to try to defend his stories. It's not like some of you guys would believe if somebody got pregnant. They're like, I got pregnant by the Holy Ghost, right? All of us will look at them and that person and says, hey, go meet that counselor tomorrow or psychology tomorrow or mental institution. It doesn't work. But then again, if we bring ourselves back in that day, right, Jesus is purely crazy. Okay, If, if you hear that story, you're like, no, he, he's truly a child of a wedlock, right? So Jesus grew up being picked on, bullied. Of course, he was considered a child out of wedlock. He was being bullied. He was... It was a bastard's child, I guess. That's the worst way to put it. He grew up, he didn't get favoritism. The worst things could possibly happen to him, especially in such a, a very tight or closed mind cultural society, right? Or, or, or group of people. Most of us here who has some sort of a, a strong cultural background, I don't, I kind of do because I'm, I'm Hmong, so Hmong people kind of have this really closed mind society. Obviously, I grew out of that because I've met Jesus, right? But these Jewish people were so closed mind, and when they begin to see this Jesus, they're like, no, no, you're going to give us a bad name. You're going to give us a bad name, not just to us, our names, our reputation, but I don't think you're part of our genealogy. You're not part of the descendants. So I know that they came in with this against Jesus from the very beginning already. And of course, Jesus had to deal all that problem in life as a small little child. But he was an honest child. He was a truthful child. And everyone else was a child liar. Until we meet Jesus our perspective begins to change. That's not unfair, right? Most people would be like, Pastor Daniel, you're telling me that everybody here on earth, if if they're not of Jesus, they're a liar. They're part of 
you know, the child of the devil. Um, that's, that's what John says. Question here is, count your lies. Recognize who's behind it. We tend to say it's Satan, but it's really, it's really not, but it's us. Our total depraved mind, DNA, upbringing, life that we were born into was this. See, we don't catch grace yet until we catch this part, that we were already born as children of the devil. And it's just too hard to swallow. It's a pill that you and I can't capture it. Because our one little lie isn't bad enough. It's not the lie that I want us to render this part of our life to. But it's that DNA in us. It's that sinful nature. Jesus continues to move now deeper to the real root of this DNA. And so, of course, Satan's kryptonite doesn't just belong to having kids or having child being the liar, but now it's point two, which is the father liar. So there's only two fathers in the Bible here. One is the father in heaven, and the other one is the father's a lie. And this particular father's a lie, in verse 44b, I will read it again, and it says, He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in truth, because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the fathers of lie, right? So there's three things that, that it's kind of like attached to, to this Satan now, this evil person, this evil, this, you know, this enemy of God, right? There's three very simple things that is attached to him, obviously, doesn't say nothing about the name Satan here. I just put it there in my little notes. But there was uh, the devil, I guess, Diablo stuff. It's a Greek word that he that was there in the Bible. So, so Jesus goes back and goes, that guy, the 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 Diablo, that devil, that guy is is the father's a lie. But there's three things about him that makes him the father's a lie. These three things are very important because these are the the three main. Uh, the verbs, right? They're like the main verbs that kind of connects who he is, okay? So who is he? He is a one, murderer. Two, he is no truth. I guess here it's kind of kind of complex to just say, hey, is there such a word called no truth? Or you could just use the word untruth or there is no truth in him. And then number three, he's a liar. And then again, he's titled, or his title of position is Father of Lies. So this Father of lie is Lies, Father of Lies is a murderer. He holds no truth, well, has no truth in them, and he's a liar. And so Jesus is telling these Pharisees, like, look, you've been studying your Bible. You should know already that this particular enemy of God has been doing this for a long time. And he uses all nations to do it too. 
And obviously these religious leaders by now don't really care about history or theology. All they care about is, is we're going to catch Jesus, say something, and we're going to probably kill him by doing that, right? And of course, obviously they, they did. They caught Jesus saying that before Abraham was, I am, which they, that was pretty much that sentencing death that they gave Jesus. But what type of murderer was he? Satan was a murderer, or the devil was a murderer. What type of murderer? He was a murderer from the very beginning. This is something that is very hard for most, most Bible readers to do, and sometimes I get hit with this too, and they're like, man, you're reading too much into the text, right? I'm, I, I am, I am, but I know the description well enough to where I think it's okay that if I read this into the text, it's probably there, right? This is what I believe. I believe that Satan at one point that was with God up in heavens before all of us was created in heavens and earth, right? He had this good relationship with, with, with God, right? And when Satan's up there or Lucifer was up there hanging out with God, he looked at God. He says, oh, man, you're awesome, but I think I'm awesome, too. If I'm awesome, I could compete. And maybe if I compete, I could be Jew. If I could be Jew, then I could become God, right? Oh, now, obviously, he lied to himself. So when he lied to himself, he also lied to another one-third of the angels that God created. And they brought this massive war up in heaven. And obviously God knew it was too too quick and easy for him to finish it. So he probably didn't do it. He asked Michael, the fighting angel, to take care of it. That's kind of what I'm theoretically putting into the Bible. So don't believe me, but if the description in the Bible is right about possibly uh, characters of the Bible, then it might happen in mass. So obviously Jesus... I mean, God looks down and God sees this Lucifer, top angel, most beautiful looking thing that he's ever created or angel. In his mind, he's like, I'm not just going to beat God. But I'm going to lie to myself that I could kill God so I could be God. Hope y'all catch that. From the very beginning, Satan first plotted murder in his heart. He believed that he could kill God already. And he, so he deceived a third of the angels to follow him. Not anywhere, but to a place where God is going to recreate. It's going to be beautiful. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he puts the most beautiful thing in this earth on the sixth day. He rests on the seventh. And on that sixth day, he created something which he says, wow. This is a wow thing to God because at the end of that creation, God says it was very good. So he breathed into man. He became being, human being. God blessed him to become a perfect steward of this whole entire planet. Again, he was pretty lonely because most of the creation that God, well, Adam saw that wasn't fitting for him. God made Adam go sleep and out of Adam's rib, God brought forth a woman. In Adam's image, in God, Adam's own bones and flesh, Adam woke up and says, wow, this woman is, this, this person is amazing. Somewhere down the line, they had this nice relationship, but Satan knew this whole storyline in some small little way. So Satan comes in and he interferes. And obviously he comes in with his strategic skills, his kryptonite for humankind. If I could only get humans to lie, I can be God. 
So he deceived. That's a good word to use, right? Lie and deceive. It's like kind of synonymous with each other. So here goes the world and a new DNA of being children of this liar. So there was no truth. He was, a, he was a murderer from the very beginning. And now there was no truth left in this enemy of God. This is great enemy. It's not a small enemy. This is a great enemy. Because that's within his own nature. It does not exist. And because of this, he continues to plot more and more and more. Whether it's deception or lies or pollutes every one of us, small little things in life. For college students, I know that you guys are working very hard. Man, exams are coming. I got two kids down at Boyce College, down at the, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, right? So they're college students there. And man, they're battling. They're like battling, getting grades correct and all that stuff. And, and we know there's a challenge, but don't let the enemy tell you that it's too much work for you. Sometimes we, we let that happen. There's too much work for us. So we get stressed. So when we get stressed, we do certain things like slack. And when we slack, our brain starts to slip away from our heavy-duty dose of exams. Maybe we graduate, we're trying to find a job. We're like, man, we, we graduated with great honors and we finished graduate school and we're here in the cities, but we got this pay, low-paying job. We don't want to do this job either because we work so hard for this, right? And we're just going to get paid like this. That's another lie. You just lie to yourself. God provides. It wasn't people. It's not humans. It's not the economy that provides for you. The society, they don't, they don't care. They don't give you nothing. If, if you want something, they're going to ask for something, right? But it's God who gives you what he's already planned. Lies is the worst thing that has ever happened. In humanity. And because of that, we almost lived, or we technically lived in the world without truth. Until the truth was revealed. The, the, the best way to say it, until the truth was incarnated and liberated the world again. Now, that's not fair to say, because what happens to all those before Jesus was born? Well, they had it more tough than us, because now they have to put faith on this future, never-ending-changing truth that is going to come. So, like Abraham, I feel sorry for the guy, because he had to wait 2,000 years before Jesus was born. He was looking to it. He had known the name of Jesus, but he knew that somewhere down the line, the, the great ultimate blessing and and the promised blessing and salvation of this world is going to come through my descendants. So at, at least he, he was kind of benefited with that. But everyone else who was born after Abraham, whether it's three, four hundred years, or even those that was kind of stuck with, you know, uh, Israel when they were exiled or they left down to Egypt and they got held in bondage there. Of course, it was hard to believe during that time that they were ever going to get saved. But God had a plan. He's like this. This truth is going to be incarnated. So we don't have to 
suffer from lying, living in a world without truth. I don't know about you guys, church, but I've been pastoring for 12 years. I take it back, maybe longer. I still find myself lying to myself. I do. Sometimes I become so good at it, right, that uh, I just want to do it so that I look cool in front of people or I don't want to look disappointed for certain people. But I, when I came to a truth in my life that I, I had none, God, if I keep pretending to be what I'm not, then that's, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to live as a untruth Christian for the rest of my life, right? Or without truth Christian for the rest of my life. We can all be Christians, okay? I'll give you guys all that. But if we're a Christian without truth, then there's going to be some, some strong battles for us to, to live up to God's standard. Because God knows that. God kind of orchestrated that we don't have to do that. We don't have to do that. What did he do? I'm going to end it with this verse right here. Jesus ends this by stating this in chapter, um, same chapter, chapter 8. But when we get down deeper down to where it's uh, 48, 49, 50 right there. 49 says this, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, because they were really getting at Jesus by this time. But I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he would never see death. Anyone who keeps my word, never see death. Of course, it wraps up with another similar verse in 52 says, if anyone keeps my word, he would never taste death. But we believe we're going to all die. Well, that's not technically what Jesus is really referring to, a physical death. I want to challenge us with this. Satan's kryptonite is really the truth. It's not Satan's kryptonite on us so that we'll lose. If we do that, we give him too much credit. But Satan really has a weakness in us. That's the truth. And if we obey that truth, that lie continues to, to be broken down and, you know, destroyed away and blink out. So continue to practice truth. That is Satan's kryptonite. May y'all receive a blessing. Let's close it up with this prayer and benediction to every one of us. May the God of peace, who is only anchored in Christ, continue to move our life. When a God of hope, who is Christ, continues to give us this movement forward or towards you, Grant us this time 
so that this week we can honor you. Blessed be your name. In his holy name we pray. Amen.